We are looking at Skill in Godly Relationships, Part 1. This is at least a two-parter. It may be a three-parter. I've already gotten the rest of the skeleton on paper, and it takes up a whole sheet, and that's just the skeleton. So i got a feeling it might be a three-parter. We'll talk about relationships in a moment. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love, for your care, for uh, this opportunity to come together and look at your word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us. And uh, Lord, that you might uh, show us the areas where we need to change so that we might fall in line with uh, what your word says about wisdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, We're starting with uh, skill and godly relationships. This will move on to... Uh, marriage relationships, parenting relationships, and things like that. So I imagine we're going to be in the concept of relationships for a little while. Um, when I signed up for TikTok, and yeah, that shocks people. I'm on TikTok. Uh, I don't do anything on TikTok. I just scroll and waste time uh, more than I should uh, at times. But uh, I signed up uh, desiring... TikToks that would be about politics, about marriage couples or couples in general, and about religion. And so therefore, I get a wide variety of uh, uh, TikToks coming across my For You page, <clears throat> and I'll get both sides of the picture. If, if you say politics, they don't give you just the side you want, they give you the other side too. So there's a lot of people on there that you just kind of shake your head and it's kind of like, how on earth can you believe that? But they do. The same thing is true in the, uh, the religious area, uh, in the sense of, you know, I'm an ex-pastor. Ask me anything. Kind of like, if you're an ex-pastor, you're probably not the person that anybody needs to be talking to uh, unless you're going to encourage someone not to do what you did, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, when it comes to couples, uh, the, the entitlement mentality that we complain about certain groups having, the reality is that has come into relationships. Um, in, in the dating uh, community, a lot of young women are asking men, what do you bring to the table? Now, here's what's expected as far as what you bring to the table. You must be tall. You must be hot. You must um, be making at least six figures. You must drive a nice car. All of that kind of stuff. And it's not about love anymore. It's about pride of life, if you want to get technical. And very, uh, I'm getting a lot of men now that are making TikToks saying why men are done with dating in America. In fact, uh, one of the TikToks talked about men that are going overseas to the Philippines, to wherever, and getting wives over there and bringing them back. Because those women aren't all caught up with the pride of life issues. They're looking for a husband that's going to take care of them. And so men are doing that. And it's kind of like, wow. But uh, the, the terrible thing is, is uh, I used to have a book by R.C. Sproul that dealt with counseling. And uh, I believe it was chapter 8, talked about marriage and divorce. And I believe, I believe it was R.C. Sproul. He said, 
when the divorce rate hits a certain point, you know your society is on its way down the tubes because if you can't put up with the most important relationship that you have, then you're not going to put up with anybody in a relationship. Kind of like, wow, how true is that? And the thing is, is uh, when you look at everything that's going on in our country today, I recognize that certain people are pushing one agenda, other people are pushing another agenda. There's a lot of hate, a lot of division. And the reality is, is all of that can be fixed with this simple rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we're talking about wisdom, we have to deal with the subject of uh, skill, wisdom. How would God do this in a godly relationship? So let's look at letter A here, the importance of relationships. Uh, we're going to start in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. You can turn there, but I do have the verse uh, here in the outline. Um, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Now, I just told you about guys that are done with the dating scene in America because girls, they're the ones that aren't really bringing anything to the table in many cases. They're wanting to know what the guy brings to the table, but they're not bringing anything but someone who's going to use and abuse and then dump you. Um, that's the guy's perspective. But what happens in those situations? Very often, the girl is going to have a group of girls that they're going to get together and, oh, it's terrible and all that kind of stuff. And she'll continue to go out and party and, and look for the next sucker. No offense intended. Uh, that's ultimately the kind of guy that she's going to find. Um, the guy, on the other hand, when he comes to the place where that's it, I'm done, he isolates himself. I think that in some ways that's actually easier for men uh, than it is for women because, you know, what, what do we need in a house? It's nice to have a bed, but we don't need one. We don't care about curtains. It's nice to have a bathroom, but we don't need one. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the reality is, is some guys go out uh, and cook on an open fire and, and not have a problem with that at all. Uh, a woman brings something to a house that makes a house a home. A guy, four walls, you know, he, he's fine. But uh, when we talk about isolation here, notice in your outline, this is a purposeful isolation. This person has become a social hermit. Okay, very often when guys give up on dating, uh, they become kind of like social hermits. Now, some guys will uh, go to the gym and have friends at the gym and stuff like that. But a lot of times, especially if it's been a marriage and a divorce, the guy goes off on his own and he just not really friends with anybody, that kind of thing. Uh, a friend of mine in Bible college. He got married about six months before Lynn and I did, and he actually uh, married a girl that I had introduced him to. Uh, I dated her once and realized, yeah, this isn't going to work, <laughs> and uh, passed her off to him, and he, uh, they, they fell in love, got married, and all that kind of stuff. Well, unfortunately, um, they couldn't have children, and one thing she wanted was children. Uh, somewhere in the rush over I don't know how many years, they ultimately were divorced. 
she was embittered, spreading all kinds of bad stuff about the family in the town that they lived in. Uh, the last I heard, he became a, a janitor at a Christian school, and he's not on social media of any sort. He's just a bitter old guy. Uh, social hermit. Okay, that's the, uh, the picture here. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. Uh, letter B, he rages against all wise judgment. Now, this is God's x-ray of his condition. Uh, it is not normal to be a social hermit. I recognize that some people may not be extroverts. They may be a little bit more introverted. But the reality is that it's not normal to not be around other people, have some kind of relationships and stuff like that. Notice it does not reflect man's view because, again, men can sit there and say, oh, I'm fine all by myself. It's no problem. Um, this, he probably has reasons why he thinks isolation is a good idea. Some reasons may be true and considered good by mankind, but God sees this as foolishness. Now, with this verse in mind and with the concept of divorce, remarriage, uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, why is anybody surprised when a couple, Christian or otherwise, they marry, they divorce, and then one of them goes and remarries, to, probably to someone else in most cases? Why is anybody surprised? It's amazing how many people are, but the reality is, is people need people. And so if you look carefully at Scripture, every time divorce is mentioned, remarriage is always the understood as to what's going to happen. So if this is going to happen, this can only happen if it's done this way. Um, so it's just one of those things where you understand God's uh, opinion is isolation is not a good thing. Okay, number two, individualism. America is known for their strong individualistic type personalities and stuff like that. But notice this is dealing with personal responsibility, uh, individual judgment. In Romans 14, 12, it says, So then every one of us shall give account to himself. Oh, so yeah, each one of us are individually going to give an account for the life that we've chosen to live. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not going to happen as a group. That's going to happen as individuals. And that everyone may receive uh, the things done in his body according to uh, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So there is individual judgment. And then, of course, there's individual salvation. John 1, 12, but as many as receive him to them... Uh, to, to those who believe on his name, to them he gave the power to be called the sons of God. Or John 3.16, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we do have individual salvation. And of course we have individual responsibility. In Galatians 6.5 it says, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, notice the future tense there, shall. 
in the context, one has been caught up in sin, uh, and we that have the Spirit in us are to go to that one and restore such a one with a spirit of humility and meekness, recognizing that we could be tempted by the same kind of thing. And then it goes on to say that love uh, shares the burden. You, know, you help your brother carry the burden. And it says here in Galatians 6.5, For every man shall bear his own burden one day, that's the idea, is that everybody's going to be responsible for themselves, carry their own load, that kind of a thing. So within a personal responsibility, we have individual judgment, individual salvation, individual responsibility. But the context under the law of Moses, each is born into community and commanded to, number one, love his neighbor. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of uh, thy people, for thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Again, most of the problems that we have in this country are solvable by loving your neighbor as yourself. I recognize there are a wide variety of political views, uh, a wide variety of religious views. I'll be honest with you, one of the guys that's running for uh, president right now on the Republican ticket, he sounds really good. He's Hindu. I recognize that within that religion, there is a cultural difference that is not going to line up with the culture of the Constitution. Why? Because the culture of the Constitution is based on, in many cases, uh, biblical principles. Now, some of those principles may cross over, but some are not. And so I'd be kind of concerned. And that's not to say the guy's a bad guy. That's just to say one of the things that the Democratic Party doesn't seem to understand is in letting in all of these people that they're letting in, and I'm not, not talking about hatred toward those people, I'm just saying... They come from different backgrounds, different cultures, and that is going to affect how they think and how they act, and it is going to affect people in this country because they do not have the same concept of law that we were at least raised with. In Brazil, if you're working on your front sidewalk, you're, you're pouring the sidewalk, and you're going to take a lunch break, um, you have a... a, a a grate in front of your house, a fence, and uh, you will take all of your tools at lunch break, bring them inside of the fence, and lock the fence. Go sit down and have your lunch. Why wouldn't you leave them right outside of the fence near where you're working? Because they think if you wanted it, you wouldn't have left it there. But it's on my property. If you wanted it, you wouldn't have left it there. And oh, by the way, it's okay to steal from someone who's richer than you because they obviously stole it in order to be richer than you. Now, these things are taught in churches. Okay? So with that in mind, let a bunch of those people in here, and all of a sudden we're all building walls around our house and having grotty out there out front so that no one can get in because that's the only way to protect your stuff, your kids, yourself. 
And then you start sprinkling glass on top of the broken glass on top of the concrete on top of the wall so that they won't crawl over the wall. Or you stick nails in the concrete sticking up. See, cultural background makes a lot of difference. So when we come back here, uh, we understand that under the context, man, most of the problems that we have in this country could be fixed just by loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay? And then notice uh, uh, they are each to take uh, part in group worship. Now, yes, the individual families would have to show up and offer their sacrifices and stuff like that, but there were times when everybody had to show up. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's at least three festivals. Pastor would have talked about them, I imagine, this morning in uh, Sunday school, uh, where all of the people had to go, uh, all of the men at least, had to go to Jerusalem on three of those festivals. Uh, Passover, I believe, was one. Pentecost was the other, and I think the other one uh, would have been Yom Kippur. Um, I'm not sure on that, but uh, group uh, worship was part of their responsibility. Notice number two, there's no private relationship with God. Worshiping at the home altar in place of uh, corporate worship, uh, believers have to participate with the community of faith. Now, I, I think it's wonderful that we have uh, Facebook Live. And I recognize that some people cannot get here for a variety of reasons. Uh, one lady that I, uh, I hold dear in my heart, she struggles because of her eyesight after dark. Those lights become glary. So to have Facebook Live for her is a good thing. Uh, other people that are a lot older and frail, good thing. But there may be some people that are watching Facebook Live Sunday morning. Sunday night, Wednesday night, and they don't really want to come here. Now, you might think I'm horrible for saying this, but why not? See, the problem is, is that goes back to the first part of the verse, being a social hermit. Well, they wouldn't consider themselves a social hermit because they go to work and they do all those kind of... No, no, no. You need to understand. The Bible teaches that we are to, like iron sharpens iron. We're the tools that God uses to encourage one another, to rebuke one another, to mutually edify one another. And therefore, church attendance is actually quite important. Uh, this idea of, you know, I was worshiping God in the holy mattress uh, today, uh, that, that's unbiblical, okay? Uh, both New and Old Testament corporate worship is important. Letter C, and yeah, I know someone may have just been offended. Let me see, my normal response is get over it. And I'm not trying to be mean. This is what God's Word says. When it says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, the issue is the assembly part. It's, some of these people, they were saying, you know, being part of the church, I'm getting persecuted. I think I'm going to go back to the temple. And that's what Hebrews is all about. It's kind of like Christ and worshiping Him his way is so much more important, so much better than all those other things. You really ought to be going to church. And uh, some people were forsaking the church and going back to the once a week or at the temple or the synagogue or something like that. And it's kind of like, no, stop it. It doesn't mean missing a Sunday. 
It doesn't mean missing just Sunday nights. It means they stopped going, okay? Corporate worship is important. Letter C, context under the new covenant. In the book of Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters uh, are heavy and doctrinally rich truths on the wonders of redemption. You will find in the first three chapters, most of them in the first chapter, but some in the second and a couple in the third, um, at least 22 statements that say what God thinks about you because you're in Christ, okay? Uh, You're a saint because you're in Christ. You're faithful because you're in Christ. Now, we all look at our condition and say, "Mm, not so sure about that. God's looking at our position in Christ. Christ was faithful. He considers us faithful. We're totally accepted in the beloved. Uh, We're called, uh, chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Uh, And there's there's like 22 at least. You, you might come up with a few more, but it's doctrinally rich in truths uh, on the wonders of redemption. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, Paul turns to the church, and he says that we are to walk worthy of that redemption of the first three chapters, if you will. We are uh, supposed to be dealing with one another in love, in humility, and in peace. Hmm. I don't know how many messages I've heard recently about how we're to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. And then I talked to someone in the church that is still angry with someone for something that was done. The Bible doesn't allow you to do that. God says, forgive them. Well, I'm not over it yet. Get over it. This is a matter of choice. It has nothing to do with faith. And oh, by the way, has nothing to do with your emotions. Well, I don't feel like it. Tough. I don't know how many times Lynn and I have irritated each other. (laughs) And we'll come to each other. She's done this. I've done this. It's kind of like, you know, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And the other person sits there and says, I don't feel like it, but I choose to because God has told me to. My feelings will adjust. I have to do what God tells me to do. So we are to uh, walk with one another in peace. Why? Because we're one body. This morning I got up and felt pretty good walking around. It's kind of like, man, my knee's not bothering me. I walk into the school and I didn't lift my foot up high enough or something like that. And so the sole of my foot caught the floor. You know, I tripped over the floor. It wasn't quite as bad as going upstairs with Joe Biden, but I tripped on the floor and uh, in the process twisted that knee just the slightest little bit. And I was kind of like, oh, man. So you might have seen me just slightly limping as I was going up to the uh, uh, platform this morning. And the reality is, is there's one little itty-bitty part of my knee that says hi. And what does it do? Causes the whole body a problem. Okay? We are members one of another. And that's why the concept of corporate worship is so important. Notice you'll see a similar teaching in 
Let me just read a few of these because, I mean, I've got them all here, but uh, uh, it might take a little while. But uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor what is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Uh, hospitality is one of those fun things because some of us are a little bit more fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type thing, and, and others want a lot of preparation. So I've learned to call in and say, hey, I've invited so-and-so to dinner next Sunday. <laughs> I used to just bring him home. <laughs> so, but yeah, hospi- uh, hospitality. Uh, verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Philippians 2, 2 to 4, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Uh, down in Brazil, we had a, a pretty diverse, diversely gifted uh, group of people that worked there. And the mission agency couldn't understand how you could have a group of people that were so diversely gifted that they, they should have been an awesome team. But we weren't. Why? Because this is his area. And that is that guy's area. And you got to stay over there. You can't come over here and work. See, I have to have something that I got to write home to my supporters about so they'll continue to support me. That was the attitude. And you know, you think missionaries are kind of spiritual, they're humans. If you have those problems in this church, they have those problems down there. But here's the scripture that says, no, stop it, okay? And, and again, there, there's a lot of verses there. You can take a look at them yourself. Uh, letter B, caution against excess. We've had the concept of uh, the importance of relationship, caution against isolation. Be careful when it comes to individualism. Now caution against excess. Proverbs 18, verse 24. Uh, most of us can quote this verse improperly. And the reason why I say that is because we learned it from the Scripture that we carry around with us all the time until you start doing a little bit of research and find out, oh, that's probably not what he meant. So it's not your fault. It's the translation that we use sometimes, things like that. So Proverbs 18.24. I'm going to read the New King James. Well, I'm going to read New King James, New American Standard, and the Holman. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. We tell kids that all the time. Well, he's going, yeah, I don't have any friends. Well, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. I don't know how many times I've thought of the same thing when it comes to adults. People will come into church and, and uh, they want friends, but they don't go and introduce themselves to anybody. Um, they wonder why no one comes and, you know, just blubbers all over them. And thankfully, we've learned to blubber over people a little bit, and 
uh, that's been good. But the reality is, is there it is. If you want to be, uh, you want to have friend, you got to show yourself friendly, right? Translation problem here. Okay. Letter B, uh, NASV, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. Huh? <laughs> How many people today think that they've got 782 friends on Facebook, think they actually have 782 friends. I don't know how many times I get friend requests from people that I have never heard of, and I'll go to their page and look at it. It's kind of like, no. And sometimes it's, I really don't know you, and there's nothing wrong with the page. Other times it's kind of like, ah, that's a bot. That's just someone trying to get in so that they can hack me or something like that. <clears throat> and it's amazing how many of those I will see other friends, they've already accepted the friend request. And it's amazing how many of those are pictures of beautiful young ladies. Nothing, quote-unquote, pornographic or anything like that, but sometimes you see the pictures, kind of like, okay, whatever. Nope, stop it. It's dangerous, okay? It's probably a bot. But again, if you've got 782 friends on Facebook, how many of them are friends? Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Version says, a man with many friends may be harmed. Uh, in Portuguese, the word to know facts is to saber. Eu uh, sabo. Saibu, uh, I, I think it's Saibu, uh, something. You know, two plus two equals four. Uh, I know that, okay? To be acquainted with someone is conhecer. Where their language falls apart is to be intimate with someone is conhecer. And uh, it definitely fits the concept of intimacy, but to be acquainted with doesn't mean you're friends. It just means, yeah, you know that person. It probably they probably need a third word for that. Number two, the interpretation of this uh, verse: a man with many friends values popularity. Again, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, it, it's interesting how many uh, times I hear TikTok people complain about. You know, I had two hundred fifty thousand followers, and then all of a sudden, none of my videos are being seen. Well, TikTok is guilty of doing that kind of thing, especially if you lean to the right a little bit. Uh, if you lean to the left, you can have 250,000 followers and uh, they'll show all your videos with no problem at all. So uh, China helping people out there. As far as Instagram goes, uh, Instagram, I follow uh, Prager University and uh, Tucker Carlson, guys like that, but they always throw a few extra things in there, and it's usually to try and attract you to someone else so they can have uh, more followers, and the reality is, is uh, I don't know any of these people personally. I do know like four or five people on Instagram personally, and uh, but the one that wants all of those friends on Facebook and stuff like that, he values popularity. Uh, He may be harmed. The word there refers to the dissolution of a man's character and that he does anything to have friends. Uh, Proverbs 25, 26 says, A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. 
Uh, if you want an example of that, just think about how often the Republicans have given in to something the Democrats wanted with the promise that something else was going to happen, and then it didn't. Uh, we can go all, go all the way back to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan uh, signed an amnesty bill for the people that were here illegally uh, way back when. And he had made a deal with Tip O'Neill that if he signed this, then the Democrats would... They never followed through. That's the idea here, okay? Uh, a righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. Listening to the radio on the way up here, and uh, they had a Republican, I assume Representative uh, Loudermilk, or something like that, and um, he recently uh, talked about a bipartisan bill uh, whereby they would uh, do something that we would agree with. And in the last minute, someone threw in an amendment, a Republican threw in an amendment whereby it had to do with the FAA, uh, FFA, the people that do the flights, okay? They wanted to uh, give the authority to the FAA to rehire all the pilots that had been uh, eliminated because of the VAX situation. And uh, he said, now, wait a minute, do you realize that, well, he asked the questions, does the FAA do this? Does the FAA do that? And they didn't do any of that. So basically, by putting this amendment in, they were giving the federal government more power to do stuff that they weren't able to do before. And so he voted against it. And some Republican went up, saw who voted against it, tweeted out, these guys, uh, they, they, they're COVID, um, they like COVID or something like that. And so people get all upset because he voted against this bill. The bill was fine. The amendment gave the government more power. And he didn't feel as though, as a Republican, he ought to be giving the government more power. It's kind of like, hmm, interesting when you find out the details. See, here, here's a guy that didn't bend... And a lot of people on the outside are looking in, find out that he didn't vote for something they thought was a good idea, but not knowing the reasons why, and they're putting the pressure on. They're putting the pressure on. Kind of like, no, he didn't bow the knee when he shouldn't have bowed the knee. Okay. Notice uh, also uh, the dissolution of man's character in that he learns bad habits from bad friends. Now, this is one that uh, I think we have to tell all kids along the way, and some of them may listen. Uh, very often they don't. And where the parent uh, falls short is very often, if it wasn't for that kid over there, my kid wouldn't be in the kind of trouble that he's in. Kind of like, no. Birds of a feather flock together, and if your kid was hanging out with that kid, then chances are, check his heart. Not the blood pump, but where is his thinking? It says uh, in Proverbs 22, 24 to 25, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three: Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Some of your Bibles say, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. That's the idea there. Okay, so uh, he may learn bad habits from bad friends. And again, 
Why is he hanging out with those bad kids? Because there's something in him that wants to be there, wants to be like them. Number two, the calamity of a faithless, a faithless friend in rough times. Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. So here it is, a time of trouble, you need help, and your friend says, you know, I can't do that. Kind of like, wait a minute, you're my friend. Well, not that good of a friend. Now, he may not say that, but ultimately... Uh, his actions prove that he's not that kind of a friend. So, calamity of a faithless friend in rough times. And then, of course, judgment that one may incur due to associations. Another one of those things that very often children do not understand, the concept of associations. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The concept of enticement is seduction. They're trying to get you to go along, and they're making everything they say sound good. Let me give you an example. You know, if we do this, uh, in, this insurance fixing situation, we're going to save you $2,500 a year. Don't you want that kind of health insurance where we save you $2,500 a year? See, that's seduction. I don't know about you, but when I heard it, kind of like, if you can do it, that's a good idea. What happened? All of our insurance went up. Consent thee not. <laughs> okay, that's the idea there. Uh, Proverbs 1, 18 and 19. And they lay wait for their own blood. This is the ones that uh, were trying to entice the young man to go along with them. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. In Proverbs 13.20b it says, But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. In 2 Chronicles 19.1-3 and 20.35-37, we get to see the example of that. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldst thou help the ungodly? And love them that hate the Lord. Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and has prepared thine heart uh, to seek God. Now Jehoshaphat hung out with uh, the king of Israel, and they went to battle together against someone. And God's sitting there saying, Why are you helping that guy out? He's a no good, dirty, rotten scum of the earth sinner. And so you're going to suffer judgment, but because you did do some good things, you know, I'm taking that into account also. Chapter 20, verses 35 to 37. And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion-Geber, then Eliezer, the son of Dodava of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord has broken thy works, and the ships were broken that they were not able to go to Tarshish. I mean, that's just right out. 
Here, everything that you're shooting for, we're going to destroy it. Ouch. Why? Because you're associated with someone that you shouldn't be associated with, and judgment comes because of that. How many young people have been in a car with someone that was driving drunk or had drugs, and they end up getting arrested either before the accident or after the accident, and uh, they may not have ever touched the drugs, but they're associated with the guy. Or the guy did a drive-by and you happen to be in the car. Now you're going up for murder. But I never touched the gun. Uh-huh. Associations. Pretty important thing when it comes to the concepts of friendship. So that brings us to the application of uh, Proverbs 18.24. It says, One good friend... Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Um, Ida and Ruth haven't figured that out yet, but Leah and Izzy have. A sister is born for adversity. But a friend loves at all times. Uh, I know there are people that I can call, and if they can help me, they will always be there to help me. I I recognize there are times when they can't, but that's because they can't. But if they can, they're going to. That's the concept of a good friend, the kind of friends we ought to have. One good friend is worth 50 bad friends. Again, Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. And all I did was trip on the floor and my knee got twisted a little bit. Ouch. (laughs) Okay. So conclusion. Choose your friends wisely. Now, you would think that in the church, well, you can pick anyone. Choose your friends wisely. We recognize that if we're all in the church and we're all saved, that we ought to be able to have a certain measure of friendship. But think about Jesus for just a moment. What kind of friends did Jesus have? Well, He spoke to anybody and everybody out here, right? And then he had those that followed him that stopped following him. He had those that followed him that continued to follow him. They weren't the 12, though. And then you had the 12, Judas being one of those. But then you had the three. When Jesus was going to do something special, Peter, James, John, come with me. And then you had the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's on the very inner circle of that concept. So when we look at that concept, uh, it is better to have one good friend. Choose your friends wisely. Understand that within the church, you're going to find people that are here on the outer circle. They may not know the Lord yet. You'll have others that they can go with you so far, but they get hung up on something than others that will continue to be a part of your circle, but they still aren't one of the 12, that kind of thing. Choose your friends wisely. Number four, extension in New Testament teaching. With whom should we not be friends? Well, and this goes in the church also. People who cause divisions because of doctrinal deviations. Now, notice it doesn't mean they believe something different and that's it. It's they're causing divisions because they believe something different. 
We have people in this church that do not agree with us on our eschatology. And we've had people in this church that have not agreed with us on eschatology over the years. But they're not going to divide the brethren by pushing their view compared to ours. They're not allowed to teach on those subjects. But they can actually minister in a lot of different ways. So, <coughs> excuse me, get a little bit of water here, dry the, uh, wet the throat down. So, brother, uh, people who cause divisions because of doctrinal deviations, uh, Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Notice that. Avoid them. Stay away from them. <clears throat> In, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received from us. Second Thessalonians 3, 14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Titus 3, 10, A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, if he's a heretic, he's actually preaching uh, or teaching doctrine that is unbiblical, okay? Not just a disagreement in, uh, like I say, um, Hank Hanegraaff used to have a statement where he would say, well, that's within the realm of orthodoxy. You know, we have brothers and sisters that believe that we're in the millennial kingdom today. It's all a spiritual thing. The church has replaced Israel. Now, I totally disagree with them. Not only that, they're just wrong, <laughs> okay? Uh, but they're still brothers in Christ, and we can pick on each other about it, but uh, that's about as far as it goes. Then there's other people that they, they want to push their, well, if Jehovah's Witnesses came in here and decided they wanted to uh, say that Jesus was a God, a created being, that took on flesh and therefore had sin um, because God couldn't have flesh because flesh is sinful. Uh, what do you do with that guy? Yeah, he, he's not a brother, okay? And so you're to uh, rebuke him. Uh, and after the second, uh, second admonition, uh, stay away from him. Get, uh, get, get rid of him. Second John 1.10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. Uh, and again, First uh, John, Second John, Third John, uh, John the Apostle, talking about uh, good doctrine and those who reject it. So people who cause divisions because of doctrinal uh, deviations. Number two, the professing believer that is under church discipline. In Matthew eighteen seventeen. And if he shall neglect to hear them, the idea of uh, you've gone to the person, they didn't hear you. You brought two or three witnesses, and they're able to uh, mediate, hopefully get you together. But if they won't hear them, here's where we are, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, we find out that you deliver this one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You kick him out of the church. He does not 
come back to the church until there's repentance. Uh, you'll find that in Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And uh, then in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 1, the guy came back in repentance, wanted to be accepted back in, and they wouldn't let him. And Paul had to say, let the guy back in already. We know, we know how Satan works. So uh, a professing believer that's under church discipline, you shouldn't have fellowship with him. Unfortunately, I know, and, uh, and I, I did not understand this when I was younger, so I understand where they're coming from, but I know a lot of people in the church that if someone were to be uh, removed from the church, removed from fellowship, they would still hang out with them because, well, we're friends. The Bible says, I know they're your friends. What's the best way to get them back? Be their friend and not associate with them. Okay? That brings us to number three, the professing believer who is immoral, covetous, idolatrous, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler. We shouldn't even eat with them, according to 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I have written unto you not to keep uh, company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, idolater, railer, uh, drunkard, extortioner, <clears throat> With such as one, no, not even eat. Don't even go out to lunch with him. Okay? Now, again, this is someone who claims to be a believer, uh, and we're going to assume for the time being that they are, but they're involved in sexual immorality. Don't even go to eat lunch with them. Why not? Because the Bible says so. And again, the idea is, look, straighten up, repent, Come on back into the fold. It is not, I'm better than you and therefore. Okay? Number four, unbelievers who are actively involved in immorality. First uh, Peter 4.4. 4. <clears throat> Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. This afternoon... Uh, I was told a story of a time when a young person was out with a bunch of other young people, and they're old enough to drink, and so most of them were drinking, and uh, this young person had a soda. And, uh, okay, fine, all right. But after a while, one of the young people grabbed this young person by the mouth and squoze in such a way that the mouth opened and then started pouring beer down their throat. Because we're all drinking, you have to drink. After a little bit of a tussle and there was a threat uh, that basically let you know if you ever touch me again, I'll, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> you know, but uh, the reality is, is wow. See, this person didn't understand, how come you're not drinking like us and, and did what was they concerned necessary to get that person to drink with them? Kind of like, don't, don't even be friends with that person. Don't hang out with them. Okay? Number five, the world that is hostile against God. Now, unfortunately, James 4.4 4 is actually talking to Christians, but it makes the point. You adulterers and adulteresses, now, why are they adulterers and adulteresses? In the first three verses, they want their way. They want their way so bad they're fighting about it. Hmm. Someone asked me today if I did marriage counseling. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. They're fighting about it because they want their way. And he goes on to say, you know, you don't have what you want because you haven't asked God. And, and if you have asked God, you're only concerned about getting your way. You're not really interested in what God wants in this situation. And that's why you're an adulterer. Your relationship with him is like a marriage, and when you don't care what he thinks and you want what you want, it's like going out and committing adultery. So that's why he used the terminology here. He says, Know ye not that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <clears throat> now in Bible college, they're working with a lot of young people, and, uh, you know, even Christian kids have a tendency, if they go to public school or have unsaved friends, to uh, copy some of what they're doing. <clears throat> and um, so worldliness was always defined when I was in Bible college as copying, in essence, the dress code, the hair length, uh, the facial hair concepts. When we come back to Scripture... Worldliness has nothing to do with that, though that may be an indication of worldliness. When we come back to Scripture, it really says, all that is in the world, this is how the world operates, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. These things are not from the Father. Oh. So worldliness is when I live by the desires of my flesh, the things that I see that I just got to have, or I've got to be something. Talking to a young man here not too long ago, and he wanted a pair of $1,800 sneakers. Kind of like, why? Well, my friends are wearing them in school. That's kind of stupid. Why? $1,800 for a pair of sneakers. How long do sneakers last? You know, some people, they may last a couple of years. Uh, mine lasts about three months. <laughs> uh, they may still look good after three months, but they don't feel comfortable anymore. Uh, and we can talk about all the whys and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is $1,800. Man, you go out and buy a car for that. Well, no, you can't because inflation. But uh, you used to be able to buy a car for that. <laughs> that actually ran. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's nothing but pride of life. Everybody's going to think I'm cool if I have those sneakers. Kind of like, no, that's just stupidity. So uh, the world, if you shouldn't be friends with the world, it is hostility against God. Letter B, the bond of our relationship with Christ is the basis for any good relationship. As my kids were growing up, I remember uh, Michael Jordan, you know, he's a great basketball player, and they would say, hey, is Michael saved? Kind of like, you know, I've never talked to him. But let's start with no. Why? Because that's where everybody starts. Everybody starts, no, they're not saved. Until the Lord opens their eyes, they hear the truth, and they receive the truth, and then that is going to make an effect on their life. Now, does that mean Michael's a bad guy? No, he was a great basketball player. Some would argue the goat and all that kind of stuff. Not going to go there with you. Different ages. I mean, it's kind of like comparing Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. Okay? 
they're both very good at what they did, but they lived in different ages, and uh, one of them played more games than the other did per year, and da-da-da-da-da-da, okay? But the reality is, is we always start with the idea that, no, they're not. And then, of course, the Rams came along. Well, what about uh, Warner? Is he saved? Well, he professes to be saved. Let's keep on watching. And it was kind of neat to think that here we are following a team that uh, the quarterback might be a born-again believer. Cool. Uh, so when we talk about the bond of our relationship with Christ, that's the basis for any good relationship. Tried to teach that to the kids as far as uh, the friends that they would choose also. And, and if the person isn't a Christian, well, then talk to them about Christ. They'll either run from you or they might come to Christ. There was a point where uh, when my kids were dating that I sat there and said, Lord, it might be better for these kids to go out and find an unsaved girlfriend or boyfriend. Uh, not that I believe in missionary dating, but get them saved and then date them. Because uh, there are times when we Christians get caught up in all kinds of stuff that maybe we shouldn't also. Uh, and it's not based on our relationship with Christ. Notice in uh, Colossians one twenty-seven, the bond of our relationship with Christ is our hope of glory. Uh, Colossians one twenty-seven says, To them God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Having been a youth pastor, I can tell you that when you talk to young people about real Christianity, uh, not not the, the fake stuff, you know, the coming to church and following all the rules, but a relationship with Christ. Very often, they're very willing to listen, uh, but they also are sitting there saying, how come we don't see this? Because mom and dad are growing at the same pace that you are. You know, maybe they're a little bit further along, but they're still growing too. They're still figuring it out. But it is Christ in us. Uh, our hope of glory. How about Christ being our life in Colossians 3, 4? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So w one of the things that I think prevents, a, well, pastor talked about it a little bit this morning. You know, you're going to enter the sanctuary, you're out there in the atrium, what are you supposed to do? Three words of thanksgiving, something to pray, uh, thank God for. And then as you enter it, you have three praises, the characteristics of God. Uh, why did he do something like that? Well, the reality is, is, as he pointed out, you know, you come in here and you think that God is basically your equal. Then you can give or take whatever he says. But when you remember who he is and what he's really like, and there's that actual fear of the Lord, then there's that respect, that awe, that, oh, wow, God is my life. Okay? And then, of course, uh, the bond of a relationship with Christ is the basis of any good relationship. He is our all. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us, wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Now, think about what those things include. Okay, the wisdom of God, the skill to live the way that God wants us to live, we get that because we have Christ. Okay, righteousness, His imputed righteousness, whereby we can be totally accepted in Him, we get from Christ. 
Sanctification. It's as we look into the mirror of the Word and see the glory of Christ that we are changed from glory to glory to be made more like Him. And then redemption. All of that is available because He did what was necessary to put us back into that right relationship with God. So Christ is our all. And if you're making friends with people where Christ is not their all, on what basis can that relationship excel? And then, of course, he is our spiritual vitality. John 15, 1 to 8. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Okay? Uh, Without me, you can do nothing. That's verse 5. You've got to abide in him and his word abide in you. And then, of course, our source for all good. 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Let me just read a couple of the verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved." Notice how many times it said, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. And if you look at those four verses that I just read, how many things are now true about us because we're in Him. Okay? So He is our spiritual vitality. And then our source of all good. Oh, I guess that's the one I just did. And then conclusion. We must abide in Christ. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we do what he told us to do. What did he tell us to do? Pastor gave it to us this morning. That's the three-step program. The two-step program, for those of us that can't count to three, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's abiding in Christ. We must forsake anything that hinders that relationship and walk worthy of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, and 10. I guess that's actually Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So with whom should we not be friends? Various uh, people there. And what should our friendships be based on? Our relationship with Christ. Now, Now that is going to mean that young people who don't fully understand their relationship with Christ are going to make friends with other young people, some of them not having a relationship with Christ, some of them not understanding that relationship, or they're still on that path where they could choose wisdom or foolishness, and they might be making friends with those people, and you might have to explain to them why maybe that's not a good idea. But the reality is, is the more we walk with Christ, the more we're going to see people in one of two camps. Those that belong to him, those who don't those with whom I might have a close relationship with, and those that, okay, I may have to work with them, but 
I'll be respectful, honoring, loving, because they're my neighbor, but that's about as far as it can go. Okay? All right, let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. Father, we thank you again for your love, for your care, for this opportunity to look into your word. We recognize that friends can have a very strong influence on us, and we ask that you would give us wisdom and grace that we may not only have good friends, but that we may be good friends for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.